passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most wrestling sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock, along with Waiting. We have brand new AEW Tag Team Champions doing the Rampage. Goodbye. We're out of here. Every Did that week. summarize the uh, the ending of uh, Dynamite. Oh, my geez, God, dude, they were like, "Get out of here. We are done. Oh, we cannot goodness. go a minute longer." For all this talk about Tony Khan has alerted that uh, if we will stick with this, they have a hard out, folks, every week. And this was the hardest one, I think, to date. Is it a hard out? I don't know, because it feels like they're doing, you know, these these overruns. Uh, this on a this one might have inched now. past. We might have gone a minute past. Uh, we Is might, that we, so? Because, like, I can't really tell because I'm watching on the TSN app. I don't know if there's an automatic delay when I'm, like, streaming a Chromecast or something. So, I... So they're not. I, I'm pretty over? sure it was ten on the dot that they were out. I don't Jeez. think they went a full minute over, but it was um like they're usually like it hits ten o'clock and they're you know goodbye at that point. This one seemed Got to it. be they went right up until the absolute end. But yeah, never a dull moment when it comes to dynamite and this uh this Wednesday night schedule that we have. But here we are. We are live minutes after dynamite. Seconds, oh. honestly, John. Like it's it's what it's. Cino's like. report is posted on the site. It's been tweeted out. Facebook, Amazing. do it all, dude. If you saw like our system that me and Cino have with a Google Doc, dude, I am writing out like my tweets it, during the show. I am predicting what I'm gonna make as like the the little keynotes. Wow. Like it is a it is a strategy session like you would not believe that I have had to figure out to outsmart Dynamite to get on. It, to do this all within five minutes, I have no. like the most s- significant system. We're just going upstairs to fill this is built into my strategy. And I know that if one thing falls, th- I don't get this. You're kind of like your own little pit crew, you two. Huh? Uh, exactly. Yes. Yes. I think this is a bit more stressful, but yeah, exactly. Like a pit crew. We should time you, honestly. We should put a camera on you next time. You know, from the moment that Dynamite goes off air and the rush that you have to get to get set to go live here on YouTube afterwards. So the, the X factor tonight, there, there's the things I can predict and then the things I cannot predict. Uh, putting my daughter down to sleep at 7.40 p.m. and she's still yelling away at 9.10. That was an unpredicted, uh, an unpredictable action mm. tonight. That was... Uh, just yelling and screaming. It was, um, yeah. So that's tough. 
That's she's asleep now, with. so knock on wood. Uh, we will see when she, when she arises next. It'll probably be around. Usually, as soon as I'm done this and I go upstairs, and that is when she awakens, and then that uh, continues my night as I go and I, I just sit with her. So we'll see how this this goes. I'm I'm thinking that because she was up so late tonight, she's going to be exhausted, and she might sleep a little bit more through the night. We'll see. I hope the best for you, man. What's your prediction? Do you think she wakes up at these are the options at one a.m. 2 a.m. or 6 a.m. It will be one of those three. Oh, okay. It won't be three or four or five. I think, no, usually the one or 2 a.m. will get her through those hours. And then hmm. six is like, I'm ready to go round. Uh, the, the next day has arrived. I'll maybe place a bet on two, 2 a.m. Okay. Well, that will be inconvenient, but uh, I will take it. Okay. What What do we want to discuss? We should discuss some of the things going on at the post wrestling website as well. That's coming up this weekend because there's a lot of stuff that's happening this weekend. First of all, our F1 Drive to Survive review is up right now in the post wrestling cafe. It is, I mean, arguably one of our most successful rewinds away we've ever done, John. Ton of, yes. ton of feedback for this one. We've, we've gotten a lot of feedback. Some have said that, um, the best rewind away in years. I, I don't know if I take that as a, a, a one week compliment and a multi year insult, but, um, <laughs> it seems that people are really enjoying this. And I, I would say I'm surprised, but I'm not that surprised. It's been pretty positive. The feedback we have received. If, if those, if there are people out there that do not like it, they are keeping to themselves. And this show seems to really have been, uh, uh, an enjoyable one, two and a half hours of us discussing not just the first three episodes, but kind of giving like an overview of how we have discovered F1 and the series by extension and some of the key players, the key teams, and just kind of kind of like our introduction to all of this. So it was a really fun episode to do. It was a complicated one for us to put together, but the end product was was worth the hassle. I think a lot of lessons too, you know, just in professional wrestling, sports storytelling with uh or sorry, in professional sports storytelling, I should say, you know, with a winner and a loser and how you tell the stories of maybe even the people who aren't even in competition for a championship. So uh, thank you for everybody who's checked that out. And thank you to everybody who's left some feedback uh, as well. Tomorrow night, it, it's a, it's our MCU later finale for Ms. Marvel. So that's taking place 10 p.m. Eastern. And as always with our finales, we do them live for all Post Wrestling Cafe patrons. So if you're a member, uh, look for a little email where you can join us live at 10 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday with me, Nate Milton, WH Park, and Ahmad Butt from New Jersey, where the finale took place. Uh, also on MCU later, we will be back with the Thor Love and Thunder review this Tuesday. So that'll be your bonus show. So if you sign up right now, you get all that. What else do people get this month if they sign up for the Post Wrestling Cafe, John? Well, this week alone, you are getting four straight nights of shows on the cafe with uh, MCU later Thursday, Rewind to SmackDown Friday, and then Saturday begins the G1 Climax podcast. Saturday night, Waiting will be doing a show with Karen Peterson, and then Sunday uh, with WH Park. Uh, when I return from my vacation, I will be doing shows with Way uh, until Way will tag out, and then I will see the tournament through the rest of the way through August 18th. But if you jump on board the cafe, minimum, you're getting seven G1 podcasts. And if you stick around for August, uh, you will be getting that many more uh, covering all of the events will be covered. Some shows will be grouped together, but you will have every event, every G1 match covered uh, here at Post Wrestling. So $6 gets you in the door and access to all of the bonus shows, uh, including 
four coming up in the next four nights and all of your G1 podcasts. And the best way to enjoy all of our G1 coverage is by entering the contest at postwrestling.com slash G1. You have 48 hours roughly to enter. The deadline is midnight Eastern this Friday night. It only takes a couple of minutes to make your picks uh, with all of the tournament matches and then throw your name into the hat and see how you fare against uh, the post wrestling staff and listenership. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, every Friday, it is Rewind of SmackDown and Rampage that will be going live for all patrons for on uh, Fridays, 10 p.m. Eastern, or sorry, 11 p.m. Eastern time, and then in the archive on your Post Wrestling Cafe exclusive feed. So that is the Post Wrestling Cafe this month, Saturday. Our friends Benno and Bushby are doing their 24-hour charity stream where they will be attempting to broadcast for 24 hours straight last year they did what 12 is that right 12 as i recall this year they're going for 24 and it's not like i mean it makes sense you know for the sequel to like you know go 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 bigger but the they're they're, they're not like taking shifts they're not like someone goes they're going 24 straight which is unreal it's not just it's not just twice the i I think um stress (laughs) like Every hour you spend beyond 12 is exponentially more difficult. Okay. So somehow they're going to do that 12 times over on top of what are, what they've already d- done last year. So these two will be nuts. They will be hysterical if, if they even make it that long. Uh, and it's all for a great cause, of course. So you can follow at Bushby01 or at Benson Richard E for some of those details. I'll be a part of this at some point. The schedule's up there right now on their, uh, Twitters. And, uh, I look forward to, Talking to two completely, I'm sure, incoherent men. That is that is a friendship right there. Uh, Martin does this. It's it's a great cause that they, they raise funds for. But, you know, he tasked Benno, will you join me and Benno? I mean, that that is a friend right there. Because I, I do not know, Way, that if you came to me and said, hey, John, I really need you to do this with me for 24 hours. I'd be like, Way, I can, I can give you eight, maybe. I don't know about 24. Yeah. I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could do this. Some other names that are, that are set to appear. I mean, our own Karen Peterson, Davey Portman, Nate Milton, Andrew Thompson, Jordan Goodman, Eric Marcotte. You're going to get a transfer window. The, the, the very famous, you know, BW transfer window. Brandon Thurston will be there. Me, uh, our friends. I w. hope w. they have Brandon McCurry. on late. I hope Brandon is like hour 23 because that is going to be the hardest interview as they go through like math and <laughs> ratings and quarter hours. Brandon and I are right in the middle of the pack, but also um, they will get a different Brandon uh, joining them as well. Oh, Brandon boy. from New Jersey is getting a whole half hour, um, you know, towards the later portion of the show. It's definitely beyond 12 hours in. So good luck to them for that interview. I'm looking forward to the whole day's worth of events. And again, you can go to at Bushby01 for the complete schedule and listen to those guys and donate as well. Yeah, I, I'm going to try my best to listen. I was invited on. Unfortunately, I'm traveling on, on Saturday. I will not have access to uh, to, to join, but uh, I, I would be on the show if if it was possible. I we, we booked this this vacation like a while back, and mm-hmm. then within weeks, um, one of my best friends is getting married on Saturday. Martin extended the invite for this, and it was just both of them. I I cannot do so. It is a uh, anyway. 
Uh, Don't worry about it. You deserve it, John, honestly. And you know what? Something tells me these guys might even try it again in the future. This is the unofficial goodbye for Martin Bushby from the broadcast airwaves as well. He's he giving you left. everything. He's leaving everything on the microphone for you, folks. He he will have nothing left after these 24 hours. So you are getting his soul on Saturday. So by <laughs> yeah. the very least, uh, tune in and donate to a wonderful cause. And the very last thing, uh, here on our Post Wrestling Cafe feed, once a month, Bruce Lord and David Myers do a show called Postmarks where they profile individual members of the post wrestling audience. And this month, they're going to be speaking to Jake from the Windy City, somebody who uh, is I'm sure listeners are very familiar with. He will be uh, talking to them about how he got into wrestling and how he got to our podcast specifically. So you can find that on the Post Wrestling Cafe feed for free at postwrestlingcafe.com. All right, there you go. No shortage of great stuff to check out all at postwrestling.com. And uh, we cram a lot into into these plugs, and that sets us up for Dynamite tonight. From Savannah, Georgia, week one, part one of Fighter Fest. Is Fighter Fest, like, so significant that they need to draw this thing out to two weeks? Yes. We get part one really? and two this week, and then... I guess part three and four next week. This is how it's broken up. Well, why stop there? Why not go three weeks? Why not make a whole fighter fest month? Um, you could, you know, fighter season, fighter season. Okay, sure. Well, I mean, other than calling it fighter fest, I mean, this was just like there was dynamite. Yeah, it's not like it had a fancy set. I mean, the Great American Bash they at least like do things up. I mean, this is just it's dynamite with like a different sign. You're right. They used to at least like, you remember like the first time they did it, they had like the girls, which got, um, I guess a little controversial, but then like, at least like they had sand on, on, oh wait, I'm thinking of beach break. What am I talking about? I'm thinking of beach break. Right. Yes. So they still do, do the fancy set for the beach. Well, this break, was, but... this was one of the, those first shows like pre dynamite. Yeah, yeah. They did the first, uh, fighter fest. Was that yeah, the, was the that CEO the CEO one? one? Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah. All right. Well, tonight we started things off with Wardlow and Orange Cassidy for the TNT championship and the best friends note that Dan Housen has got the manager's license and Trent says we are going to cheat a lot <laughs> and Orange Cassidy, he doesn't care. So we start the match. Uh, Wardlow comes out, gets a, a good reception here in Georgia, and he removes Cassidy's hands from his pockets. And then this guy rips the guy's pockets, which we didn't have Jim Ross here to note that he can buy a new pair. He can replace those. It's psychological. He's he's not actually doing anything of, of significant. Uh, uh, it's not a significant penalty to Orange Cassidy. It's mind games. Again, you know, my my dream scenario in pro wrestling for 2023 is Jim Ross calling the clusterfuck. Joey Janela, I know you've met this man. Please make it happen. <laughs> Cassidy then does the same deal where he puts Wardlow's straps back on. Each guy uh, flexes for the other. And then Trent gets involved by distracting Bryce Remsburg. So Chuck Taylor, behind the referee's back, (laughs) pulls out a chainsaw from underneath the ring (laughs) and was prepared to come in and commit murder on Wardlow. And Bryce caught him (laughs) and yelled... You can't bring a chainsaw in here, and the two men were ejected. I know there's going to be people that are going to dump on this, but I, I have fuck them. Fuck I them, thought this John, was so funny. You know what? It's like some people take this stuff so seriously. I howled at Chuck Taylor trying to interject with a chainsaw. 
these are the same people who find no humor in the maximum male models okay like people that just like if it's not about completely believable legitimate something that could happen in a ufc ring they don't have time for it this is comedy this is like this is a comedic character they said at the beginning they're going to cheat like hell and they they brought a chainsaw okay they they, they knew they had they had planted this this weapon this potential murder weapon at the scene of the crime underneath this ring it was hilarious. Completely, completely. I mean, if you're going to cheat, you go all out. Bring a chainsaw. Sure. I mean, if, if, I, this is I, Wardlow they're talking about. They need to, the, the, a chair isn't going to keep this guy down. Yeah. So Wardlow stops a suicide dive. We got into like an actual match here, but then Wardlow discovers Danhausen under the ring. Danhausen does not have the, uh, the power to curse the man, or at least he wasn't going to try. So Wardlow then turns around into an orange punch. And this was all like, I actually thought like psychologically, Orange Cassidy knows I cannot go toe to toe with this guy. I have to come up with all of these tactics to get in my one big blow that brings this guy down to my level. And then I can, I I have to outwit him. And that was the whole story of the first half of this match. And yes, it goes into all these ridiculous, this ridiculous territory, but that's sort of the the charm and uh, of this orange Cassidy character is that he has to outsmart these people. And, and that was kind of the case here with this larger monster that he had to take on. Wardlow catches him in the ring with a belly to belly. Uh, we go through the break and then Cassidy chop blocks Wardlow's knee and hits a spinning DDT for a one count. He is caught with an F10 and Cassidy kicks out that they note is the first person to kick out of the F10. And Cassidy fights the power bomb and counters it with a Rana, lands the suicide dive, rams Wardlow into the post and then comes off of the top, turns it into a stun dog millionaire, hits the orange punch and the beach break. And dude, they got a audience that totally bit on Orange Cassidy pinning Wardlow. They just, you know, he just he was on special. He hit everything and Wardlow still kicked out. It was the big spot of the match and he goes for one more orange punch and is caught right with one power bomb. It takes one power bomb and Wardlow wins in 11 minutes and 37 seconds. I thought this was great. It was very entertaining. And when they announced this match at the beginning, you know, I think a lot of us were not curious about the outcome of it because I don't think any of us expected a title change, but curious about how they would get through it while maintaining both men and their babyface quality. It, it, it's an interesting challenge of all the matchups Tony Khan could have made that he decided to go with this one because you're putting two people at risk here. You know, you, you're risking one somebody either the fans either cheering more for Orange Cassidy instead of Wardlow or more for Wardlow instead of Orange Cassidy. I think the key was giving both of them enough shine and giving them both enough opportunity to look equally as cool in their own ways, but never too much that it threw, you know, off that fine balance. And I thought they absolutely achieved it. The comedy spots worked well. You had Wardlow doing some of like, you know, the Orange Cassidy agility that 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 was surprising for him and made him stand out. The chainsaw thing, as ridiculous as it was, I thought was really funny. And above all, they just had a good athletic professional wrestling match. So I I thought they both gained coming out of this. Yeah, I would say for the first half, I did feel the audience was divided. I think you had like it, it was, you know, it was it was not like the audience just sided with Orange Cassidy. Like there was no. the the split. It wasn't like um all, all behind one guy and picking one. It was like down the middle. And I think by the end, once you saw Orange Cassidy, like when it built up to the near fall, I mean, I think this match achieved what it was set out to do. And then afterwards, you had Wardlow uh, fist bump him. And I, I will say, coming out of this, I would like to see Orange Cassidy in something 
Like, I do think he needs a big win at some point. I wasn't expecting it here, but I think this is someone that coming out of the, with the Will Ospreay match, um, even those that are all in on this guy, I think view him at, at a higher level uh, coming out of that. And he's just this ultimate utility player that can get put in all these different scenarios. He makes them work. This is among the most consistent performers you have when he mm-hmm. is put into these scenarios. And um, I, I, ju- I just think at some point, like a big program, I'd like to see him get, you know, something substantial. Which is why, like, the matchup also surprised me. It was the fact that it felt like they were really setting Cassidy up for something significant, whether it be a title challenge against John Moxley or maybe potentially something like a TNT title run. And here they just kind of extinguished, you know, whatever momentum he was building off of the Osprey match with this loss for the TNT title. Although you don't want to view him as like the fall guy when he gets to a certain level. Once he gets Mm -hmm. to like the big boss, it's like, you know, this guy is falling. And I I think like there is more upside than that with this character. There is the argument to be made that like he is he might be a character that that doesn't need a championship or might be better off without a championship. But I think what people are looking for with him is like a significant story and a significant role. Some sort of win the big one, like win win, like the, the big showdown kind of match. And it doesn't have to be a champion. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, or some sort of character growth and, and storyline progression that maybe hasn't always been there. Like he just kind of seems to be a guy who dips in and out, gets some, gets some, you know, might get a pay-per-view match in an orange juice match against Chris Jericho, but then kind of stays flat at this level. So I, I, I agree with you, though. Like since coming back with that Osprey match and up until now, like he's 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 really been great. Yeah, when you talk about Forbidden Door being on the shortlist for shows of the year, like that was most people's match of the night on mm-hmm. that that deep of a show. We saw highlights of Pack beating Shota Umino last Sunday at Rev Pro, which aired on Dark. What do you think about this direction? If this is sort of how we see this All Atlantic Championship, where it's kind of your touring belt, um, and it's it's filling like Dark and Elevation as opposed to like I do not see a match like this ever airing on Dynamite or even Rampage. Like taped, yeah, like taped. No, exactly. not at all. In no, a small venue, I just don't no. see that airing there. I love it. I really do because I mean, when when this AEW All All Atlantic title was announced, I, a lot of people were concerned, including us, that there were too many belts on this show anyway, and there was nothing, especially for the mid tier belts, that were really distinguishing them from the others. The, the you know, if this was going to be just another another rehash of like an IC title slash European title slash US title. Well, what use is there on 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 AEW uh, for a show that already has so many belts? If the purpose of this one is to tour to the indies, specifically like you know the UK UK indies or anywhere else in the world, and to showcase talents and settings that none of us would normally see, if it wasn't associated with like you know the story and the universe of AEW, I think it's wonderful. I think it's a great way to showcase pack. It's a great way to showcase other people. It's a great way to showcase other promotions and gives people an incentive to watch AEW Dark that isn't normally there. Yeah, I, I would hope that they're like, I think it's a good way, especially to introduce this concept of doing a bunch of these matches. I do hope that there are some like matches that lead to things on the proper shows itself. I wouldn't want to keep right. pack just reserved for, you know, YouTube. Um and there's a way to like, you know, you do a disputed finish or you just you have this hot match that uh, you can bring the rematch back to dynamite and through dark and through highlights on the show. Like, when have we ever seen a match on dark or elevation get the spotlight um, that, that the matches tonight with Thunder Rosa and mm-hmm. Pat got? And you can bring these matches back and you now have a backstory after they, they had uh, a match like this. And dark got a lot of attention this week. 
Totally. Yeah. It felt like a more significant addition than, than usual. And of course you could hear about it on shot in the dark with John Cito on the up next feed. But yes. um, yeah, it, it, it seems like an extension of, you know, this forbidden door concept where they have these partnerships with various promotions and now they're able to build storylines and build title matches with other people from other promotions without even, you know, sacrificing AEW TV time. Chris Jericho is out decked out in a suit to Judas and he says that this is not Chris Jericho, the sports entertainer. This is Chris Jericho, the living legend and Eddie Kingston's superior that is speaking. And he notes next week's barbed wire everywhere match. Barbed wire everywhere. Barbed wire everywhere. Hmm. Is that is that misleading in the promotion? I don't know if there will be barbed wire everywhere. No, define everywhere. Well, what's uh, everywhere? The bathroom. The guardrails <laughs> on top of fans, the floor. Okay. Barbed wire everywhere all at once. All over uh, Duluth, Georgia. So he says that being friends with Eddie Kingston is worse than any curse Danhausen could conjure up. And he goes through the list of Ortiz with his head being shaved as a result of being friends with this man. Santana, who Jericho and his cronies took out at the Blood and Guts match. He lists Brian Danielson. He made here. Santana plant his foot wrong after delivering a urinagi. That, that was good. that was the curse that yeah. is worse than anything Danhausen could conjure up. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, he lists Brian Danielson here, who I don't know if he's on Eddie Kingston's friends list, um, but Danielson yeah. was taken out too. I feel this is just kind of to pad the the point he was trying to make because Danielson. No, I, I understand, but I think there's also a point of criticism there where like they. Well, and of course, Danielson got injured, so who knows, like, what story they were supposed to tell with Eddie. But, like, the whole Cesar, the Claudio thing that about him supposedly not being friends with Eddie, that seems completely dropped. Mm -hmm. Um, whatever rivalry he was supposed to have with Danielson, I mean, not really mentioned at all. Yeah. Um, that was, yeah, one, one that kind of didn't really fit in here, but said he was taken out at anarchy in the arena, and we don't know when he's going to come back. And then lastly, noting Ruby Soho and her mangled hand and, they have crushed her career, and the reason she has a mangled hand is because she is Eddie's friend, and Eddie needs to take better care of his chicks. Realistically, if Jericho looked at the injured list right now in all of professional wrestling, I mean, I, you know, everybody must be Eddie Kingston's friend, you know, like either that or just people are just getting injured a lot more. Jericho would need that list of all the thousand and four moves to go over the injury yeah. list that the AEW currently has. He says they're having a barbed wire match because Eddie Kingston is a mark for Onita, Terry Funk, and Sabu when Jericho brings up that he won the first ever barbed wire match in Canada on January 29th, 1993 against Beef Wellington for Rocky Mountain Pro Wrestling. Not a lie. Yeah, this made its way up on the internet um, recently. I actually have this screen grab right here, this poster. Um, Victoria community. That, by the way, that, that promo shot is my favorite one of Jericho's. It's, it wow. was in his like first book. I mean, it's just look at this guy. Thrill seeker, Chris Jericho right here. Yes. And th this is him like, he's like just over two years into the business at this point. So this Goodness, is very wow. early in his career. Uh, the Victoria Community Association presents Rocky Mountain Pro Wrestling. Would you look at this? A barbed wire match for the yes. North American Heavyweight Championship. Goodness. What do you, what would you think about the, the Rocky Mountain Pro Wrestling, uh, the, the style guide that necessitated pro be given that very <laughs> the font? special font to well, distinguish it from Rocky Mountain Wrestling? 
I would not change a thing about this poster. It is perfect. It completely encapsulates. I mean, honestly, encapsul- encapsulates 1973. I don't know how this this was 1993 made in 1993, but it's perfect as as a call as a as a fine from 2022. He should have had this on the screen. This would have been yeah. wonderful. Totally. So he brings this up. And, and I mean, this is like a hallmark. When Jericho brings these things up, they're rooted in truth. And I think that mm-hmm. adds so much to the the promos. And he says that deep down in that match, he felt pleasure. And next week, Eddie Kingston isn't facing Chris Jericho. He's taking on the pain maker. And after next week, it's going to be our final fight in our saga. And then, Eddie, you can go back to your drinking, to your drugging, your depression and your mental issues and other excuses that you'll never be at my level and says, you will not be a liar and you will, you you will get blood. And instead of being a liar, you're a loser. And that is how he Mm. ends uh, this promo. Very strong promo from Chris Jericho here. He, he, uh, by the way, people in the chat room are saying that he called Danielson an acquaintance. Okay, so he didn't call him a friend. All right, an acquaintance, sure. But but the promo was not established as anyone that is acquainted with you is cursed. He said anyone that is friends with you. Right. Okay. Well, let it slide. We'll let it slide. Okay, because it, it it was a promo that I thought was. Tremendous from Chris Jericho it, that targeted Eddie Kingston at his core. It wasn't just a catchphrase fest, you know, for 30 seconds. It was full of personal digs here. He's bringing up the sort of classic superhero insecurity of anybody who gets close to this person always seems to get hurt. And he's also bringing up Eddie's, you know, depression and alcoholism that have been brought up in the past, either in the Players Tribune article or in, in Eddie Kingston's promo, of course, uh, very memorable with him um, drinking. Like right before that that match on pay per view, yeah, yeah, that was a phenomenal promo. And then he also informed the audience of his history with barbed wire matches before announcing the return of the Painmaker persona, which is a bit of an attraction, or at least you know visually. So every line that Jericho had here, I thought was important and had purpose, and it was also very well delivered. Yeah, and this is probably going to be another bloodbath on on AEW. Have do you feel that there have been too many of these in a in a small window when we're talking of like we're coming off anarchy in the arena, blood and guts or is this just kind of par for the course that I mean these these have become pillars of AEW's big blow-off style matches? I would say par for the course at this point, yeah, especially when it's at at in the at the end of a feud that had all of that. John, you know, like you can't you can't end a feud that, you know, contained uh, blood and guts as well as uh, what is what what was the other match that they call? What do they call the you, you can't you can't end the the deep rivalry and hatred between John Moxley and Takeshita without going all <laughs> out with double blood. Well, they're going to bleed a lot more, I would assume, next week. And you're also going to see barbed wire. So I think it's appropriate. I think it's somewhat expected at this point. And you know what? I'm sure they have data. Tony Khan has data that maybe reflects some sort of gain in ratings anytime that blood is uh, appears in the picture in picture hey these two also have an incredibly high bar coming off that revolution match which was tremendous uh, that the two had that pay-per-view opener Mm -hmm. uh, back in march Mm -hmm. so i mean they they had a fantastic match to kind of live up to next week as well but this should be um yeah this should be a very violent match the way it has been uh set up and knowing the history of these matches in AEW. After the break, Kingston is standing with Ortiz and Ruby, who's in a cast, and he notes how Jericho gets gets all this time in the ring. He's given 30 seconds here and tells him, you bring the pain maker. 
you will pay with every ounce of your blood and I'm going to enjoy it. And just storms off saying that's my out. So very quick. He literally had about 30 seconds here to respond. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I suppose it's just, you know, they really wanted to maybe show Kingston's reaction to it to, to give him some presence on the show. I would have personally maybe even waited, you know, for something a bit more substantial because I think give him a few minutes on rampage. I mean, it's something like he should have a big promo for next week's match. And, and it doesn't have to be on road to either. Exactly. Yeah. You know, because like Jericho's promo was so targeted and went so deep. I wanted an equal response from Kingston, or at least like, I want to see him that much more pissed off coming off of it. And this almost just felt like he was kind of dismissive and, you know, um, anyway, it, it was fine. I, I also really like the idea of like the new stable with like Kingston, Ortiz, and Soho together. Then it was John Moxley against Konosuke Takeshita in a non-title match with William Regal out on commentary. And it starts off uh, with Moxley going for a pile driver and tries for another one on the edge of the apron that Takeshita blocks and hits Moxley with a released German on the edge of the apron. Uh, we go through picture and picture. And during the, during the picture and picture is where Takeshita gets busted open and we come back and this guy, um, Whole head is covered in blood and he fires back big forearm and he's just demonstrating just tremendous heart. And you can just see this crowd more and more getting behind Takeshita as he Mm -hmm. hits a brain buster for a two count. He goes for a frog splash landing on the knees and Moxley goes for a straight arm bar and Takeshita gets to the rope and Arana sends Moxley out and Takeshita hits a Topicon hero while still clutching his arm, selling the arm bar. He hits the frog splash and dude, this crowd was so behind Takeshita at this point. Moxley kicks out at the very last opportunity. Then there is a, a blue thunder bomb followed by a paradigm shift from Moxley. He goes to the elbows and the second attempt at a paradigm shift gets countered and Takeshita lands a rolling elbow and a bridging German that just looked beautiful for this near fall and led to Regal um, responding to Excalibur who noted that Takeshita wrote his graduate thesis on the German suplex and Regal uh, referencing uh, Yoshihiro Takayama's Everest German. I would love what, what, to that, read this this graduate the, thesis and have it translated. What school? What did he graduate from? What was his major? And um, I I too would love to know how what he would have to say about the German suplex. I, I'm sure um, his <laughs> university professor was blown away at this breakdown of a German <laughs> suplex. Um, maybe um, you know his. His affinity for uh, Carl Gotch. Um, I would love mm-hmm. to read this. There are uh, after after the the German suplex uh, backstory. We get uh, head butts from Moxley, a paradigm shift, and finally shifts to the bulldog choke and forces Takeshita to tap out at 13 minutes and 14 seconds. And Moxley as well busted open here. So we had both men bleeding a bunch here by the yeah, end. Yeah, Moxley was bleeding at the end. I'm like, what? When did that happen? How did that happen? I didn't rewind to look at it. I didn't know if like a headbutt <laughs> caught him or if it was just a strike. But yeah, all of a sudden after he's in the corner after the win and he's like, it's a, like a gusher he's got coming down here. So um, it was like we talked about the opportunity of Takeshita winning this. So that obviously did not happen. But man, Takeshita, every time he is in a position, this guy just hits a home run. And oh, I yeah. thought this was no different. What a special talent uh, Takeshita is. This is a great match. I mean, I th- there was a lot of variety on this show. So, like, for a lot of people, maybe the main event was their match of the night. I, my personal preference was for a match like this. I thought it was such a treat for TV 
like you said, John, I think Takeshita's matches on TV are starting to feel like attractions. As much as John Moxley matches already feel like attractions, he, you know, Moxley continues to just, I think, be so completely mm, well-rounded in everything that he does. His He's got great promos, of course, but in ring, his intensity is tremendous in his action. The swagger in his body language is great. And the technique in his moves at this point are fantastic as well. But to me, like what stood out the most about this match was Takeshita's, besides his intensity and technique, it was his fantastic baby face fire that was on full display and, and accentuated by the face full of blood uh, against, you know, somebody with a style as aggressive as John, as John Moxley's. I thought this match was a better version of a similar dynamic that Mox and Tanahashi were trying to create at Forbidden Door. And why it really didn't work for me having Mox be the one to do color in that particular match when it took away from Tanahashi's sympathy. Tonight, I thought, was the way that that match should have been. And it made for a great performance from Takeshita. Arguably, you know, he's had a lot of great ones already in a very short amount amount of time on TV here. Um, But this might have been the best one, you know, at least maybe the most prominent. But yeah, I would say maybe this was my favorite. Another uh, important distinction, there is a distinction now for Excalibur between the Death Rider and the Paradigm Shift. That's right. That's right. He was d- d- specifying between the two in this match. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the real Forbidden Door, isn't it, John? You know, John Moxley's two names for his finisher coming together and coexisting. So the Death Rider is just a regular double arm. Sorry. Paradigm Shift is a regular double arm DDT. The lifting variation is now the Death Rider. That's right. So, um uh, you can see w- which gear he has to go to late in the match. Yeah. So this this was tremendous, and um, you know, with with Takeshita, I just think they have something so special in a, in a loaded roster like this. He to me has broken through in in such a big way. Well, what what exactly is the deal with him though? Like, is he on loan? Is this an excursion? And, it's an and- extended excursion with the the note that he was going to be going back for big shows, and he is going back to do the Peter Pan show in August. Uh, I don't know if that means he's staying there for any longer or if it's just go back for that big show and come back. Uh, but the understanding was like he was coming over here and it was going to be a while that he would be over here in the U.S. But I don't know what the exact timetable was going to be. Right. So but, you know, without any sort of like long term commitment beyond an excursion, like can we ever expect, you know, Tony Khan to have any incentive to push him beyond occasional losses to, you know, guys like Moxley on TV? Yeah, I I think that you it, it's hard to know when you don't know what the the long term is going to be with someone like that. But man, when you're when you've got someone that's riding a, a hot hand, I think you know you understand that you know there may be limitations in beating a John Moxley. That's that's going to be uh, an issue. But I, I fully believed in this match that Moxley could have afforded the loss, and you do this a battle of, of the belts, and it would have been a really anticipated rematch. And Moxley beats him, and I don't see how that affects John Moxley in any way. No, I don't think it would. Um, in the same way that, like, I'm sure Thunder Rosa is going to, going to be, uh, you know, Miyu Yamashita, and I don't think I think it will only like create a, a worthy story for the both of them. Um, but you can, I, I think, if you're Tony Khan, you're probably arguing whether or not you should be giving that spot to Kanosuke Takeshita or somebody else that you know is going to stick around a, a bit longer. Then it becomes a larger question of like. Like when you're bringing somebody over, are mm-hmm. you are you going with like like he's been putting a lot of big spots and completely deserves them. But again, if you're looking at he's here for the rest of the year versus another month, well, that's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. There's a House of Black promo. Uh, 
targeting Darby Allen, and they showed highlights of the autograph signing where Brody King attacked Darby over the weekend, and the announcers reacted, and they were blown away by this action by Brody King, and it was all caught on camera. Yeah, it made the rounds on, on, on the internet over the weekend. No um, charges filed, though. Uh, I guess autograph signing count as um, protected space for assault. What about that table? <laughs> Bro, there, oh. there was damages here to to be incurred by, by one of these parties. Christian Cage came out with Luchasaurus. The Varsity Blondes are in the ring, and Cage says he can't he doesn't know Pillman or Garrison from Adam, I guess Copeland. And he addresses Brian Pillman and immediately I was like, Oh my goodness, where, where are we going to go here? Because MJF pretty much ran the gauntlet of how insulting you can possibly get with a Brian Pillman jr. Um, yeah. As your target. And yeah. I, th- I thought he went rather mild here in terms of where he could have. He said that Pillman has a stupid mullet and compares it to the imbeciles here in Georgia. And just like Jungle Boy, you had a father. or uh, You had a father who was also a legend in this business, is what he said. It, 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 he put emphasis on um, you had a father. Yes, yes, you had a father. But he didn't yeah. outright state, you know, like, like Jungle Boy, where it was so outright that your father's dead. But yes, oh, I mean, it was... And past yeah. tense. Yeah, sure. So he says that your father was a legend in this business. Those are other people's words, not mine. Cage thought Pillman was average at best, but respects that he spilled his blood. And your father would be appalled that his final contribution to this business was you. I don't know. I, I thought this was uh, when, when he was addressing <laughs> Brian Pillman, dude, I are thought you, he was going to go a lot harder saying than this. Christian has gone soft. Are you, is that what you're saying? John? I'm saying I thought it could have been a lot more scathing here for it given, certainly given could Christian have. going for that shock factor every week. And given the fact that Brian Pillman just lost his mother. So I'm so yeah, glad. Yeah. I'm I, so didn't, glad I didn't even did piece there. that together. Yeah. That would have been in real bad taste. This was fine to me. Like I thought he, he went plenty far. <laughs> yeah. But, dude, if they had gone the other way, you would have had people defending that, too. Like, everyone... Yeah, I know. Like, everyone has a line. So Mm -hmm. that's where you talk about... Okay, That's where the argument that, well, it's heat, and it's a heel doing this. Well, I think every person has a line, and that is that negates the argument of just it's a free for all when it comes to justifying a heels um, promos. But nonetheless, he then shifted focus to Griff Garrison. And found oh, a- man. I think we got to warn the, we got to warn the audience before getting to this one. This is the most scathing of them all. Yes. Uh, if there's any, any children listening, you might want to uh, turn this off. He found a photo of Griff Garrison online and noted to Luchasaurus. Doesn't he look like jungle boy? And this prompted Luchasaurus to march toward the ring. Yeah, I was waiting for something like pretty bad. I, I thought they were going to find that photo of Griff Garrison working like with the Young Bucks at All In at the first show where he was just like a, a like almost a teenager. Oh, yeah. Well, what would have been so what's so bad about that, though? I mean, he, just looks, he just looks a lot younger than he does now. Yeah, Christian's big line was you look like Jungle Boy. And I, I understand what the idea was. The idea is that like Luchasaurus is supposed to be is supposed to hate Jungle Boy. So much that like the the mere sight of somebody who looks like Jungle Boy is supposed to set him off. Yes, the audience gave no reaction for this, and personally, like I I felt something was missing here too because we have never been told that Luchasaurus. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but that Luchasaurus has any personal grudge against Jungle Boy. Ha- have we? 
Because, like, to my understanding, the it's it's only been told to us that Luchasaurus is convinced to help Christian because of something that uh, something that happened to Marco's stunt, right? Yes. Like, have we been told that Luchasaurus hates Jungle Boy for for some reason? No, they, he was going to like last week. Well, wasn't wasn't that the reason? He was yeah. going to reveal the reason, and Matt Hardy interrupted him. So got it. Okay. I mean, I still get like you are at least introduced to the idea that he has some issue now with with jungle boy that should be addressed at some point but they may be strategically holding off on what that reason is or he's just been uh manipulated by christian right okay yeah i i'm mm, are are you interested like are you are you still on board with this like this mystery i think christian is doing great like i mean for better or worse he's getting a reaction as this like you know line stepper who, who who constantly pushes the boundaries of what you could say in a pro wrestling promo it's getting people talking and and filling a vacuum that mjf vacated when he left true true but the whole luchasaurus aspect of it I, i i feel like it's it's not really you know connecting with me as much i know they want to dangle the mystery but it's like it feels like they're they've skipped one too many steps where i'm more lost than like curious i think that i would guess that the thinking is that this angle they are trying to get several objectives across the focus in the short term is jungle boy gaining his revenge on christian but i think they don't want and this was the thought when you break up jungle express or uh, uh, jurassic express is what becomes of Luchasaurus. And I think they are doubling down to make sure this is a big monster heel coming out of this. And, Mm -hmm. but, but I do think you need to connect all the dots and maybe it's once jungle boy comes back, that that's the time to introduce that. Right. Right. Maybe since we're going so much in terms of him being almost a, a tribute to uh, Glenn Jacobs that um, maybe parents, uh, Luchasaurus's parents were, uh, somehow related to paul bear i thought you were going to tie in like the both of their parents i thought you were going to say like maybe luchasaurus's parents is parents were big 90210 fans or maybe they liked uh maybe luchasaurus's father is ian zeering ian okay so wait what was that relationship because they both dated kelly um oh yeah yeah technically i was just coming up with another cast member oh okay <laughs> i wasn't trying to make a connection so there. it was luke perry and kelly that was like that was the dylan and kelly luke luke, luke perry, well well dylan was first with brenda and then brenda oh, yes. goes to france with uh donna and that's when that summer dylan gets together with kelly and Ooh. then brenda comes home and then at the beach place she she finds out that uh what is going on here and then has that they have the big the big fight at the walsh house where they they come clean to brenda i mean she loses it justifiably so everyone paints brenda as like the villain here i was like dude what did she do her crime was she went on a vacation for for a summer luchasaurus could very well have ties to the walsh family okay this could be long-term a long-term build okay we will (laughs) <laughs> With bated breath, we will await the, the Walsh family connection as uh, maybe Jason Priestley has. Have we ever seen Jason Priestley wear a dinosaur mask before? Do we know that it is separate from Luchasaurus? Yeah, very good question. Okay, let's hey, move on. We don't usually um, do this, okay? Like we usually save Super Chats for the end of the show. But JM has given us two $50 Super Chats. 
So I'm going to stop everything we're doing right now just to profile this man. He sends $50 to say, I'm a longtime podcast listener and wanted to finally show some appreciation for your work. He also sends another $50 to ask, "What do you know if the women's TV airtime is under a time restriction in AEW? Segments seemingly appear around the same block weekly and promos and matches seem jammed into that particular block and come up separate from the show for me. So first of all, thank you. If if anybody decides to send fifty dollars, we will stop the show. We will stop the world. We'll we'll we'll, we'll announce to the streets. I, I hope this guy's like his like zero key wasn't jammed and he was just trying to <laughs> give him five dollars and all of a sudden donated a uh, fifty. Um, um, I mean, you you typically do see like the structure of the show where the women's match, especially on Dynamite, uh, typically ends up in that that second to last. Um, I would say like the final two segments get designated for the main event. And then the segment prior to that is usually where the women's match goes. Uh, I, I don't believe there is a time restriction for for the women. I don't think there's a time restriction, but I, I, I'm i almost this is something I had a thought about today as well, watching the show. And it's something I would love somebody to to ask Tony Khan about or, or you know, um, Chris Harrington about at some point. Like they study their ratings so closely that I think there's there's definitely a reason why we always see a similar structure every single week on Dynamite, whether it be, you know, like what is maybe the the match with the biggest star power happening first to maybe the match with the most violence happening at the very end. And then almost always like in that 915 to 945 spot is your woman's match. The last the last time that Dynamite did not have a women's match in the second-to-last match was mm-hmm. May the 4th when they headlined with Deanna Perrazzo and Mercedes Martinez. So May right. 4th was the last time the women weren't second from the top. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's it's obviously an intentional pattern. Um, and if you look at the ratings, it's typically the lowest uh, pattern-wise of, of the two hours. Is, is you know, does, does one have to do with the other, you know, is the fact that uh, the women's match takes place at, at that time a reason for the ma- for the quarter being lower or um, are they putting the women's match there because it, you know, it, it it's not going to attract that many people anyway. I'm not sure. There are exceptions, of course, always, you know, um, when, when you have a bigger star, when you have a title match. But it's a question I, I wonder a lot about myself. Yeah, I mean it's it's one where I I think like you will find uh exceptions to to the rule, but you do see uh that 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 trend as well. I I do also feel that it's like like it does feel like it is like they guarantee like one women's match per show that mm-hmm. they are going to have every single week and that's you know and and that typically is like yeah the traditional slot sometimes there will be more than one women's match but it seems like that slot by as we just looked the last two months of shows like that's the slot and i imagine if we went back further um you, you would see that trend continue uh after the uh so the match begins where it's luchasaurus against griff garrison a very brief match where there's a german suplex into the corner by luchasaurus he boots griff's head into the post Choke slams him. Christian calls for one more choke slam and then hits a second one and applies his version of the snare trap with the nerve hold that he is now calling the tar pit and wins in one minute and 27 seconds. Mm-hmm. That's a quick match um, to, to further the story. So Jungle Boy's injured. He's he's out right now. Is that right? That was uh, the discussion or at least something I've what I've heard. Um 
I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what like the official status is. Um, but yeah, it was. When did that happen? We're we're talking like a month now since that angle took place. Around that. Um, I forget now. At this point, was it before or after the pay per view? I think it was before. So in, okay. in that in that neighborhood. After he continued the attack, headbutting Pillman on the floor and then choke slams Griff on top of Pillman on the timekeeper's table and had to do it a second time because the table didn't break on the first attempt. So suck to be Brian Pillman Jr. who had to take two of those choke slams on the table with Griff yeah. landing on top of him. Mm-hmm. Tony Schiavone is with Daniel Garcia. He, he's, Matt- got a, he's, he's thinking about Brenda. That's, he's doing it for Brenda. Shivani is with Daniel Garcia, Matt Menard, and Angelo Parker, and they're asking questions about being suspended in a shark cage next week. So are we going to have the three of them in one shark cage? Are we going to have individual shark cages for these three? I guess maybe these are the questions they had. Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking one big shark cage for everybody. You know, it's a lot of cages to suspend. And this is a promotion for um, Shark Week, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the tie in. And then at the end of the segment, after Shivani couldn't answer any of their questions, Ange appears to pull a switchblade on Tony, and then Menard tells him to relax. It's a comb. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you would have threatened to comb his hair in a different way. I had one of these switchblade combs when I was a kid. I was told I couldn't bring it to school. No, it looks a lot more threatening than it probably is. It was because of the, the motion it made. So you can mm. hurt someone with it. It's like, okay, fair enough. I'll keep my comb at home. <laughs> Garcia just st- sticks around and tells Yuta that he's doing a Daniel Garcia cosplayer uh, gimmick. And I'm going to take your pure title at death before dishonor. What's kind of interesting to me is that like, um, it feels like we had a lot more death before dishonor promotion on rampage. Very than- little. Was this the only. Ra- we th- had Mercedes come out later on. That's right. Me. Yeah. But like, um, it seems like the story building for Death Before Dishonor is largely taking place on Rampage rather than yeah. Dynamite. So I, I don't know. What does that tell you about like mm, who they're targeting or how much they want to put behind it? Yeah. And I mean, you are talking about kind of a, a lower tier of, of characters as well. Like by not not everybody, but, you know, you don't have the Briscoes. So like FTR, like they did their promo last week. Are you just going to have promos every week? And then you have, you know, the Gresham stuff is still tied up because he's got this title defense on Rampage. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a Garcia promo on Yuta. There was no Yuta on this show. And and then you had Mercedes and Serena Deeb. So, um, yeah, I sense that they are kind of putting the lion's share of the promotion onto rampage and it's and it's also probably like you don't want to necessarily fill all of dynamite um with kind of lower end programs like it does feel like this is like a, a level below your big aew pay-per-view yeah yeah so i i just find it interesting you know like how much promotional power they would put behind an roh show and how much it gets next week like you would want to push it pretty hard next wednesday on your yeah. biggest show um, mm-hmm. if there, if there's a week to do a lot of promotion, it would be next week. And I'm, I'm curious to see if it's, um, a, a sizable part of next week. I think when you're trying to sell a pay-per-view, the last thing you want is to try to, you know, push a promotion as a B promotion. Um, is the fact that we're not getting that much push for the show on dynamite and set getting it in our rampage. Does that tell subliminally tell your audience that this is a B promotion? I think you can just look at the lineup and it's like your your big stars in AEW are not on this show. And that automatically tells you like it is a lower pay-per-view. And 
I mean, where, where, where are you on, on this pay-per-view? Like, it looks like a very good lineup. I think you're going to get a great wrestling show. Are you expecting, like, this to be um, a higher-than-imagined like, amount of buys? See, I think I'm specifically the type of fan that they're trying to target because I get excited just by seeing, you know, like, who, the, the wrestlers that I recognize uh, in, in matchups that I think are going to be really hot. Um, so I think they have people like me, and, and they might even have the people that are listening to this, but... Is there an attempt being made to gather the people that don't already know who you know the Briscoes are or know who Jonathan Jonathan Gresham is? Um, are they not looking for that at this moment? Um, not looking for for, for like a more casual dynamite audience. I I would say like just by promoting it on your television, like you want to widen that 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 base. Like I would I would want to shoot very high for this pay per view and. Like, if not, like just having sort of this, this boutique product within pro wrestling as it is, I mean, what, what is like the end game? Like, I think you want to, you know, reach as many people as possible. Um, and, and if not, like, is this just like taking up television time? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think the end game is to like sell ROH as its own thing, you know, whether it be for on TV or, or something else. Um, but you know, yeah, of course we also don't know like how much, um, what 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 internal agreements might be made between like Tony Khan and 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 uh, Turner or Warner I should say. Anyway, that's we'll we'll be discussing a whole lot more next week. I'm sure. Well, they then made their announcement of when the next AEW pay per view will be taking place and where it will be taking place. They have announced that the Dynamite on August 31st, Rampage on September 2nd, and All Out on September 4th. All three shows going to the Now Arena in Chicago. They should call this the then, now, forever arena, AEW. That is right. Yeah, back to the same place where it all began. Um, I think as we all expected, like, I mean, I'm sorry, Torontonians who are still holding out hope that all out was somehow going to take place um, in our neck of the woods. No, it's it's going to be back in Chicago at the same place where all in took place, where all these have taken place. And I think it's fine. Like... It's okay. I'm sure. I'm sure they'll they have their reasons. Um, the tickets go on sale this Friday, and it it is interesting in terms of an on sale where this is one pay per view cycle where it's it, like you don't know um, who's going to be on this show. Like, is is Punk going to be back? Is Danielson hmm. going to be back by that time? And like, I I imagine all out. I'm not too worried about that one. Um, but when you're talking about three nights in Chicago, and this is at a time where um, you might just have your audience that, hey, we know we're going to get a kick-ass show regardless of what the roster makeup is by that point, and there's a mm-hmm. chance we'll have Punk and Moxley on this show. Um, but at the same time, it's like you do have that that question mark of people that maybe just traveled to Forbidden Door. Are they going to make that same trip uh, next month or at the end of August? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say it'll be enough to fill that place. You know, I for, think for three AW- nights. I don't think well, they're filling it three nights. Okay, maybe not for three nights because, yeah, Dynamite all the way till Rampage. And is this a Sunday? This is a Saturday. Saturday? No, it's a Sunday. It's oh, a Sunday. Sunday. That, that's the weekend where Clash at the Castle is Saturday and this is Sunday. So it's a big stretch. You know, it's it's a lot of time. It's a lot of hotel time. Yep. Yeah, it's a. I don't know if like so many people will be making that entire trek. But I could see like if you're co- going into town for uh, All Out anyway, maybe you head in a couple days early for Rampage. Uh, it's going to be a bit tougher, but I imagine they'll also try to stack it. But you know, as far as the pay per view goes, it's 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 already made such. I think AEW shows are so consistent. 
that they, they become events just by announcement. So I think you're almost guaranteed, you know, a good show. And I think that'll be enough for most people to make. Their I, I right think now. the pay-per-view, I, I expect it'll be full. I think the only question is, does it, does it sell out immediately? Or if there's, right. um, you know, um, if it takes just longer than, than the first, uh, on set on sale date, uh, for it. But there you go. Three, three nights in Chicago. And then, and then they go to Buffalo for that dynamite after the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Hangman Page with, with Tony Schiavone, and they go over him being eliminated by Brody King in the Royal Rampage. And then John Silver and Alex Reynolds walk in, and they're pissed. They want to challenge House of Black, those spooky perverts, to a match on Rampage. And Page tells them to have at it and make the challenge. But then when they went over the Rampage matches, they never listed this for Friday. Right. Yeah. Maybe so. they mean next week's Rampage. Fighter you Fest mean week you mean Fighter Fest Week Two Part Two instead of yeah. Fighter Fest Week One Part Two? <laughs> that is what I mean. Yeah. Okay. Well, then uh, we we will get that match at some point. Jim Ross comes out for the second hour. Jesus, we're only at the second I hour know. of Dynamite. Sorry. All right. Jake Hager and Claudio Castagnoli. Um, man, Excalibur was you know he had just cage match already here. Over a hundred tag matches together. Eight and four in singles contests in favor of Claudio in their their history. I love that they just they they can rely on WWE history to get over their stories now. Oh, all, it's all relevant. It's all it's all canon. Yeah. We had a We the People chant. Castagnoli hits a Tiger faint kick, a six one nine onto Jake Hager, and then it was um. Just these two big guys just running at each other. Huge European uppercuts from Claudio. He gets knocked off balance and slammed by Hager onto the mat. Um, this was a nice spot where Hager delivers body shots in the corner. Irish whips him into the other corner and hits him with a Hager bomb after the body shots. They go through the break. There's a spinning European off the middle rope by Claudio. More uppercuts and a running drop kick that sends Hager out. And he signals for the swing. The crowd goes wild for the swing. And he goes into the sharpshooter when Menard and Parker run down. So he lets go of the submission, is hit by a big Uranagi from Hager for a two count. And then he decks Parker on the apron, pop up European and Ricola bomb onto Jake Hager as Claudio wins. And it gives Jake Hager a loss. But I don't know if this extends to his MMA record. It might just be his pro wrestling record. Oh, yes. His undefeated streak. Yeah. Yeah, This is undefeated (laughs) AEW wrestler against undefeated (laughs) MMA fighter. Yeah. I I, I thought this was uh, very physically intense, you know, from these two. Um, Jake Hager, like, if these two wrestled before, I don't remember what the match looked like in the WWE, but I can. You don't remember any of their 12 singles (laughs) matches where Claudio was eight and four? I, I do not, but something tells me that this probably looked very different from what that did. Not to say those were bad at all, but like this feels like it's they're they're really unhinged and able to just like, you know, like Claudio Castagnoli, especially he feels like a guy who's just been like, who's just left a long-term relationship, you know, not much going on intimately. And now he's just like, he's just like having his crazy phase, no regard for taking things slow, just constant action Anytime he's out there and uh, it, it it felt like the, that type of match, like, you know, uh, like a lot of stuff happening here. At, and at this point, like, I love it. I think it's great. But like, I would love to see him in his further singles matches, like, you know, um, show a bit more like, you know, versatility in struggle and and even just, you know, in in slower pacing. Like, I, I know this guy probably like has been held back for a long, long time, but I feel like, you know. In AEW, there's there's not just a craving for like great cardio ma- filled matches, but like 
re- really good, you know, back and forth as well. And not like in this match had that. I really enjoyed it, but um, I'm just kind of curious to see like what what other things that you know Cla- Claudio Castagnoli has been holding back on. Uh, so they did do um, Malachi Black and Brody King against John Silver and Alex Reynolds on this week's Rampage. So Fighter Fest Week One Part Two, we will get that on. Oh, and on, on but they didn't announce it, so how am I supposed to know? You know, this is why we need Excalibur to mention every single match, every single time. Real lost opportunity. Lexi Nair caught up with Hook, said, Hook, you're undefeated. Is a title shot in your near future? And he just walked off. Yeah, dude. Um, I think Hook is a real asshole, okay? Why do you agree to the interview if you're just going to, when you're on air, uh, stiff the announcer like this, you know? And this is more so a criticism of, of the way that they are portraying Hook because I know what they're going for. They're trying to, like, you know, make this kid mysterious and... Uh, I don't know. Um, cool, cool. <laughs> but like these, it seven- feels it's it's someone's image uh, outside of that demographic thinking what this this image of a of a twenty year old would be. Sure, fine. But even this, like, they should be catching Hook off guard before asking him questions. By the nature of him being ready for an on camera being asked the question suggests that he had agreed to do the interview already. So he's agreeing to do the interview, except that once they go on air, he just refuses to answer. Maybe he's so, nervous. That could be the gimmick. He's just really, I mean, that's probably the reality. He's probably just not comfortable cutting promo. That's why he doesn't speak, but I just think it's making them come across probably not what, how they're intending. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's happened in my, in my, uh, in my, uh, different interviews where I've asked someone to come on and then after 20 minutes, I'm like, you didn't say anything. I'm sure it has. And how does that make you feel? Yeah. Like I wasted my time. So, uh, poor Lexi Nair here. Didn't get anything out of this guy. Thunder Rosa, uh, they showed highlights of her, her match with, uh, Miyu Yamashita from the summer, Pr- summer sun princess show, uh, where, Yamashita reversed the cradle and will now get a future shot at Thunder Rosa. And they go to Shivani, who is with Thunderstorm. And dude, Thunder Rosa, you have never seen a woman so happy after losing this match. She's like, man, it was a banger. <laughs> who <Yeah>. cares? <laughs> uh, she says, Muse coming to the US. She'll get a title shot. And Thunderstorm is going to take on everyone. And with that, Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter interrupt, and Baker says she tried to stay away, but this place is a disaster without her. A natural disaster. Yes. She addresses Thunderstorm Mm -hmm. and brings up, are you aware of the floodings and catastrophe that Thunderstorms cause? And then Rebel brings Baker a sandbag to which Baker hands it to Tony and tells him to try carrying her from a month for a month. And as she walks off, Thunder Rosa yells, I can't wait to bury you with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the sandbag was because um, they said that they know how to handle thunderstorms. Yeah, that's that. That was the reason. Um, so I actually thought this was pretty clever. OK, was it? OK, I thought so, because, of course, you know, it's referring to the sandbag in controversy. Um and it was, you know, very much a double entendre playing off of Thunderstorm. But if you had no idea about the Shafir Rosa sandbagging controversy and the fact that Britt Baker liked the tweet, you would have just thought Britt Baker was going way too far 
with this thunderstorm metaphor to the point where she she decided to bring a prop out to just make the case of uh, – that, that was my more my feeling. I felt this was yeah. a pretty manufactured segment to get your haha moment uh, across to people, but whatever. It, it was, was uh, it was definitely corny, but like I, I appreciate it. No, no, no sourdough bread? I mean – couldn't we have worked that? That's in next here? week. You know, okay, that's, is that when you know some people go starving after the effects of a thunderstorm? And what, <laughs> what food and shelter could you possibly uh, have? Right. But I just I, I I give her points for the effort that she probably spent, like sitting in that dentist chair, thinking, <laughs> "I got to cut a promo on Thunder Rosa. Like, what can we build off of?" Well, I liked her tweet, you know, about sand, uh, the, somebody's tweet about sandbagging. Maybe I could use a thunderstorm. Brilliant! <laughs> like, get a sandbag. Let's put it together on TV. I mean, it was like the type of double entendre I would expect from like a rapper in like a subliminal diss. I don't know how well it came across really on TV, but I, I think the effort was made. Yeah, this one, uh, I, I don't know. I, I thought as as someone that um, this to me landed like a um, uh, waiting joke for you. Yes. Yeah. A pun jokes are it's like great. great hit and miss. Yeah. I know this is me say, saying this too, but anyway. <laughs> Serena Deeb against Anna Jay. Uh, Jay gets the reaction being billed from Brunswick, Georgia, which is about an hour or so away from Savannah. Uh, Deeb ties up the previously injured shoulder of, of, of Jay, where she, she missed all that time, uh, rehabbing. Jay then cradles her way out and continually goes for the Queen Slayer. And Deeb just has an answer every time out. Um, by after Jay gets spun repeatedly, Deeb does this submission where she locks the arms of Jay while compressing her neck by sitting down on it. This looked extremely uncomfortable. And then Jay escaped from it. There's a dragon screw out of the corner by Deeb. And then Jay gets this counter with the Queen Slayer. And dude, this crowd, they did react when she got this Queen Slayer. And she, then Deeb uh, releases herself from the hooks that Jay had applied and arm drags her way out into the Serenity Lock. A nice transition here for the finish and submits her in eight minutes and 22 seconds. Um, I, I thought that Serena Deeb, you know, she, she very much felt like kind of the veteran leading Anna Jay along here. Um, and that's, you know, I, I thought Deeb looked really nice here. And the crowd, I think, wanted to be behind Anna Jay. But I, I think you also just see, like, th this is someone that is, you know, still very, very um, inexperienced. Deeb also has, like, a very unique style that she's developing that, that that's very technical, of course, and it probably positions a different type of challenge. I'm sorry, I don't have that much to say about this match because, like, this was the point in the show where I was watching the show at the same time as trying to catch up with like my thoughts for everything else. Like, I'm three segments back trying to like because I'm like trying to keep up. Like, uh, oh, this is happening. I got to type this out so I remember this. Then I have to go back and like flesh out like thoughts that I did that with in the past, and something had to give. And it was unfortunately at this point in the show where that happened. Oh, I'm just, I'm just forming thoughts as we go here that's just uh oh goodness yeah. here we go i'm just trying to keep up with what is actually happening in front of my eyes mercedes martinez runs down tossing deep out of the ring and she checks on anna jay so yes i guess we could say this is kind of building up the, the roh pay-per-view but i mean it was it was very brief if you didn't watch rampage you would have no clue you you would have not known that th these two have even had the breakup um you wouldn't even have known that they were a team that's okay? true if you that's weren't true. watching they dark did they ever? They didn't do dynamite together. I don't. I think. don't believe so. I, yeah. I, I, at least they. I, you know. I. They might have had a graphic or something or a backstage. I mean, segment. honestly, and I, I, I mean this sincerely. Like that might be an argument that if all of their representation has been on Rampage, 
Maybe you keep it consistent because I bet you there are people that have no idea what's going on here with a, with a character like uh, Serena Deeb. And we talk about like a tune out factor. If it's a story that you are not following on Rampage, like, um, you know, that's that's going to be something where you might be just disengaged with that segment if you don't know, like, who are these these players and I'm not up to date on their story because it hasn't been on dynamite. And this is the show I watch each week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe, you know, it gives people incentive to check out those other shows. And like, we've had, we have this discussion almost every single week, you know, should somebody have a full grasp of what's going on just by watching one show? And I, I I don't necessarily think so. You know, it's like these Marvel shows, (laughs) something can happen in Thor and you'd be completely lost because you didn't watch the Disney plus show that led up to that thing. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, it's a very hard balance. Cause like you have to satisfy the people, you have to reward the people that are watching everything while at the same time, you know, hold the hands of the people that aren't watching it all. Um, and I, and you can't expect to do that. You can't, you can't expect to catch everybody up every single time because they might've missed the show. So Maybe this is one of those instances. I just find it interesting because they are selling a pay-per-view and not making, but like forbidden door was the same. They really sold a pay-per-view just on name alone, you know, yeah. without giving too much, um, you know, insight to a dynamite audience about exactly who these people are. And it worked out fine for them. Shivani's with the baddies. And they state that Jade says that no one's worried about these bitches, Athena and Chris Statlander. And Kira Hogan is arguing with Layla gray. Stokely steps in asking them to trust him about Layla Gray being the interim member. And Stokely says he is for the baddies, just like Wu-Tang is for the children. And they're going to be watching Athena and Statlander this Friday. And Hogan gets in one more line about Gray, who will never be a baddie. Can you imagine if like he he made it onto the main roster and had to clear that with somebody? Like imagine if you had to clear it with Vince. Yeah. Vince, can I put this Wu-Tang line in there? Wait a minute. I want you to say Malcolm Bivens is for the children, just like Wu-Tang is for the children. Where is RZA and things of that nature? What have you? God, I would love that. Live from a local facility, it is Wu-Tang. Rampage. We don't know what's on Vince's iPod, you know? Um, Yes. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. Rampage on Friday will have Jonathan Gresham and Lee Mar- Moriarty for the ROH title. The Gun Club explains their actions. And the Lucha Brothers take on Private Party and not announced, but it does happen. Malachi Black and Brody King against Alex Reynolds and John Silver. So that is coming up on Friday for uh, part two of Fighter Fest. And then next week, uh, we got the updated lineup. Jericho and Kingston, barbed wire from every area of the entire arena just filled with barbed wire all the all the people who have tickets i mean you get an extra bit of barbed wire under your seat probably christian cage and luchasaurus against the varsity blondes i am going to imagine christian cage is going to stay in the corner and he's not even going to tag in he's going to have luchasaurus do all the work okay yeah that probably and brody king versus darby allen which should be a hell of a match mm-hmm. autograph yep. sessions gone gone awry mm-hmm Lethal Dutt and and uh, Sutnam Singh came out. This was our other. I forgot about this. This also built up the TV title match with Lethal cutting a promo on Joe and stay, saying how Joe's student will embarrass him. So going back to their uh, their the introduction of Jay, of Jay Lethal back in his uh, uh, 
his high Special growth phase, yeah, into uh, Joe's uh, second. Tony Schiavone is with Anna J. Man, a million segments with Tony Schiavone here. So Anna J is recovering from her attack when Ty Conti walks in, making fun of her being injured. And Jay's comeback is, at least I didn't slam Ruby's hand in the car door. And Ty says, yeah, well, if you did, you'd be on TV a lot more. And she says, I like you, Anna, but you need to make better career choices. At least I didn't slam a door onto Ruby Soho. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, why why dance around the issue? You know, when you can be direct and literal and tell her tell her exactly why you're mad. Yeah. So they had to uh, get on to the main event, which is our triple or nothing AEW Tag Team Championship match with the Young Bucks against Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland and Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks. And I thought it was worth noting. Um, that Keith Lee had uh, tweeted over the weekend on Saturday, uh, writing, Today I request prayers for two of my brothers. Scary things are about and rough times have taken over. If you are struggling, I offer positive thoughts and this scream of frustration for you. None of us will tap out. Let us fight. And then yesterday he wrote, Got some very much less than stellar news today. No matter the results, tomorrow's match belongs to my two brothers. It's all I can do until I return. Uh, love you, boys. So um, I, I don't know any more details. He, he cut a promo after uh, Dynamite went off the air today, and I haven't heard it. It's up online right now, but um, I am reading some notes about it, and I believe one of his friends, he said uh, he just found out is battling stage four colon cancer, and that's who tonight's main event was dedicated to. Um, I haven't seen a note from the second, uh, if there's anything beyond that, but right. the chat room let me know, but that 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 is what, at least some of what he said today. All right. Well, th- there is uh, putting that into context. So the main event uh, starts off and early on, Nick Jackson and Swerve are mirroring each other on the floor with kip ups. And then we have uh, Matt Jackson doing his Northern Lights and then Lee enters. Um, Keith Lee just played like this, this building, this building that could fly. And that was his role. And then he would run into another building in Powerhouse Hobbs. That, that would have been his other name if he stuck around in the main roster. Bill, Bill Ding. Yeah. Oh, maybe they can say, and in this corner, Bill and the bell rings. <laughs> wow. You're, you're thinking and you're playing 40. He's there, Bill. <laughs> ding. Oh, Not goodness. ding the word. It's ding the sound. <laughs> I'm tired. So, um, man, this is one of those matches where I think I have about 500 words here of uh, recapping this match. It it was a spectacular uh, three-way match. Um, Powerhouse Hobbs, I I thought he looked looked great in in different parts of this match. When Mm -hmm. he landed this frog splash on Keith Lee, it wasn't just landing the frog splash. Dude, it was like three-quarters of the way across the ring. This dude flew off Mm -hmm. the top. It was rather spectacular. Hobbs later gets Nick on his shoulders and Starks, who is really over to this crowd, uh, did a rope walk into a cutter on Nick for a two count. The Bucks then put Lee down to one knee after multiple super kicks, and Lee just stands up looking so powerful. And then Starks joins them, and it's a triple super kick onto Keith Lee, and Starks joins the young Bucks posing for the hard camera when the Bucks then super kick Starks and send him out. Uh, we get the tag belt is brought into the ring by Matt, and he is stopped when Starks returns and super kicks him. And we kind of have the belt is just hot potato here. Uh, until Keith Lee tosses 
tosses it away. Matt is able to low blow Swerve and then hits belt shots to Lee and Hobbs and one to Swerve. Swerve kicks out. There's the BTE trigger. Starks returns for a save. And then the Bucks set up for a Meltzer driver. And as Nick rotates... Keith Lee stands in front and catches him, and this leads to a swerve stomp onto Matt for a huge near fall when the save is made. Hobbs then takes one by one. He takes guys and spine busters them on top of Keith Lee, just one after the other to try and destroy him. Uh, Swerve... Swerve is almost hit with Rochambeau, but stops it. uh, Spears one of the bucks. um, And then we see Keith Lee take Matt Jackson's shoe and use it as a weapon. He sends Hobbs over the top. A lot of this is jumbled because I'm looking at the time. It's like 9.59 and they are not sprinting towards the finish. It's like, man, we've got our match here that we've got to do. So It really helped with the the false finishes because I'm like, oh yeah, it's 10 o'clock. That's got to be the finish. You were naturally buying on everyone because of the time. Uh, Swerved at his spot where he kicks off of Keith Lee's chest with the moonsault to the floor. And then we see Starks uh, get pounced by Keith Lee. And it's like it's 10 o'clock. And Keith Lee runs the ropes and we get the Tope Con Lero to the floor. (laughs) Followed by a swerve stomp onto Ricky Starks and they pin Starks. Your new tag team champions are Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland. 18 minutes and 14 seconds and dude, Jim Ross can't even like get it out that we have new tag team champions. We get a quick plug for Rampage and we're out of here. There was no time to celebrate this. It was right up until the last second. They they, they I'm sure they they were struggling but they by the end they got all their shit in and it was fantastic. It really was. No other way to put this a match like this. It was uh I think everything you expect from like a Bucks match, constant activity, very creative spots, except you have different elements there. And somebody like a Swerve, sorry, a Swerve Strickland is his name now. That That is every bit, you know, the high flyer and I think acrobat and f- finesse technician that uh, uh, Nick Jackson is. And then you have Powerhouse Hobbs and Keith Lee, two giants who more than, you know, can are more than capable of working this particular style. To me, those two are the guys that stood out the most. Uh, Keith Lee, in particular, who I thought gained a whole lot in a match like this, and knowing what was at stake for him personally, I think you can understand um, all the more reason why he delivered such a tremendous performance tonight. Yeah, I, I thought it was a really entertaining main event. I would say this and the the Moxley Takeshita matches I thought were really spectacular on on this episode of. Dynamite. So, so where do we go here? You know, the Bucks were not pinned. Rematch. Those yeah, I, I think that's that that's one direction you, you can go of having the young bucks, you know, claim that they didn't lose. There's also like, you know, when you get around after after death before dishonor, in theory, you'll have like FTR um, hmm. b- back back in the mix of things. And uh, maybe maybe the bucks, you just keep them busy right now with like Swerve and Keith Lee. I'm hoping they get a good run before, you know, we go to FTR because I think FTR is, if you remember last week's segment, people were chanting FTR. Nobody was talking about FTR after this tonight, after the match that these, these, these six had. Mm-hmm. I hope Lee, Lee and, uh, and Swerve get a good run out of it. I think you could wait till, you know, next year even, you know, to do the FTR run because once they get the belts, I think it'll be per- for a long time too. So. Yeah, no, I'm I'm curious to see what set of challengers they have. You know, who do we have on the horizon for for heels in the tag team division? Like, I mean, you've uh, the Red Dragon. 
you know. Oh, uh, well, wait, Fish is – they're both injured, they're aren't both, they? Well, well, Kyle's – yeah, yeah, Kyle's hurt. Um, oh, man. So, okay. yeah, that kind of – you know, for, for for this tag division that has been so deep for so long, I mean, you're, you're talking about, like, you don't have Santana gun, Ortiz. Gun Club. Yeah, that's – But they're um, pretty low on the totem pole, yeah. They, they are claimed. Um, you know, Mox and Brian were partners. You know, they seem to be doing – but Mox is clearly busy right now. Danielson is also out, so that's uh, – yeah. Very, very, okay. Well, <laughs> I, I think honestly, you can you can stay with like this kind of grouping at, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also like set up like the young bucks were the ones that set this match up last week. Like they came out and set up the three way, and it was their demise. Like they they fell to the the three way rules where they didn't get pinned, but they lost the titles. So there, mm-hmm. there's a natural claim, and um, yeah, you you could come back with that on TV. You could do that battle of the belts. Um, yeah. I'm curious if Battle of the Belts is like more of a priority or if it's sort of what we have seen recently of where it's an, another hour of rampage. I get the feeling that like they've had two shots at it now and they both felt relatively inconsequential in the grand scheme mm-hmm. of things. So I feel like this will be similar. Okay, let's get into some feedback because uh, we have gone late here. Let's so. get into some super chats. Okay, okay. So, and first of all, uh, again, thank you to JM for the tremendous super chat. But thank you to all of you guys. Uh, you know, I'm very supportive on this particular edition of Dynamite. Maybe when Dynamite, like you know, is this hot, it, it tends to uh, do do well for us. So, okay, or maybe it's the fact that we just did an F1 podcast because Fact That's Channel right. sends two dollars and says, "I hope you guys do an F1 podcast." Uh, Felipe sends 2,500 Chilean pesos. It says, thanks to you both. I became an F1 fan after I asked John in the live news report, if he could recommend me a documentary. I love to hear you two talk about F1. Oh, so Felipe is, is the real catalyst as Jay White calls himself. He's the real catalyst for all of this. Felipe. All right. Well, wow. uh, thank you, Felipe. Okay. I said the dynamite thing. It's really the F1 thing. Why you guys are sending super chats? Because Party Watcher sends five dollars and says, "You guys got me into F1." <laughs> Great review of Drive to Survive. Amazing. Is F1 aware of like the influence we're having? I think we should take some of this partial credit at least. I think so too. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, this one comes from Malitha Randolph, who sends five dollars and says that seventh segment where they put the women's match is also the one that has the most commercial time, so the ratings will be lower. Very interesting point. Malitha, I did not realize that. Yep, that's um, you know, that's that's always when you look at like the quarter hours, like where the commercials get get slotted, like that is going to uh, impact your ratings. A- at the same time, like <laughs> the the commercial spots are also like the most valuable for an advertiser perspective. So it's like we talk about like these great ratings, but mm-hmm. if your commercial completely, uh, your audience all tunes out during the commercials, I mean that that that's harmful as well to your. Your overall hmm. programming. There, I'm sure there, there's some very complicated al- algorithm that that explains all of this. That you know is in Tony Khan and Chris Harrington's head. Um, but thank you for pointing that out, Malitha, and thank you for the support. And finally, one more from JM here, who says, "I was happy to wait until the end of the show, but either way, I appreciate you taking the time to thoughtfully reply to my question." Uh, thank you to all of you guys for your great support tonight. On, Thanks very uh, much, everybody. Chats. Yes, we will. Uh... We will definitely table future F1 ideas. All right, let's get into forum.postwrestling.com. We start off here with Xavier. 
Uh, one note is I love that Wardlow isn't a big dumb giant. He's smart. He recognized Cassidy's schemes and didn't fall into a lot of the bait. The match also showed how smart Cassidy is. This match just further established he's a wily competitor that is an expert at playing mind games to make up for physical disadvantages against others. We go up next to Johnny Sanchez, who says a decent episode of Dynamite with Mox and Takesha is stealing the show. Has Mox just locked up Wrestler of the Year? I know G1 is starting, and that could lead to more matches with other wrestlers, maybe helping their case. But to me, it feels like Mox, Takeshita, and Dax Harwood are just putting amazing performances every single time. Uh, what do you think, John? You know, boy, if I if I'm looking at the most consistent, if I'm just talking strictly in ring, okay, where like this is regardless of like 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 drawing power, dude. Like I I don't know if Speedball Mike Bailey has had anything close to a bad match this year and it's just week after week after week that you're just seeing just blow away performances uh from from, from that guy I, I would put his name as, as a very serious candidate as we're you know six months into the year uh, you know when when it comes to like any sort of officially recognized voting i think exposure is going to have a lot to do with it um i think you could maybe look at John Moxley as the person with the biggest platform that is being as consistent as, as he has been. Um, the G one will be, you know, interesting this year too, but they also don't have the advantage of crowds or at least the uh, crowds that can make noise. And I think that that'll make a big difference about, you know, people's enjoyment and maybe interest in even watching the match. Um, so, but for me, I, I would say Moxley is, is a front runner right now. Uh, do you want to go up next? Manny from Pacoima. I usually am unable to leave feedback as I'm on the West Coast. Okay. Alex Abrahantis and Dasha Fuentes, uh, were on commentary. So he's talking about the, uh, the, uh, the, the Spanish language commentary. And I was able to watch the show from the ending of Claudio Hager and on some really great matches. And I'm glad to see Jamie Hader back on TV as she's my favorite in the women's division. The sandbag from Baker was a nice touch to the tension between the rivalry of Baker and Rosa. The main event saw, uh, and Helico joined the commentary team and he gave some great input. Even, uh, even, I, I don't know what the, this word is. If this is a m- mistake, Sh- shooted out. Maybe shouted out Ricky Starks for paying tribute to uh, doing the Angelico dance. We were given a great main event and a great outcome as Swerve in their glory are now tag champions. I'm looking forward to next week's match between Darby and Brody. And I hope Brody picks up the win for the 818. I'm pretty sure shouted was, was what he meant. Okay. I was struggling here. It was uh shooted. Yeah. Hmm. We got a Brian from New Jersey who says, heck of an episode with three standout matches spread throughout. I thought Wardlow versus Cassidy was a lot of fun and told a good story. Moss versus Takeshita got really good. And the main event was an exciting end. I was hoping to see Starks and Hobbs win the tag titles over Keith and Swerve as I've become bigger fans of them. But there's value to get out of Swerve in our glory, just as long as one doesn't turn on the other next week like what happened on NXT. Very possible. We'll look out for any skateboards. Who, who, well, who would be the Keith Lee on a skateboard? I don't. I don't think so. I guarantee the he could probably break a real skateboard in his hands. Yes. Yes. Uh, Carl writes, Forbidden Door was a lot of fun, but I was craving a refocus on AEW stories. These last two weeks have delivered that. The show was great. I'm shocked by the result of the main. I could not be any higher on the potential of Takeshita. Yeah, definitely seems like a big uh, talking point coming out of tonight's show. Well, Tanise from Georgia says, Konosuke Takeshita is having one of the best excursions of any Japanese wrestler in the modern era. The match with Mox was fantastic, but John has to stop doing these elbow strikes. They look horrible. Do you agree? The mm. the hammer elbow uh, hammer and tong. What they do they never call those? Stu- they never stood out to me in a negative way. 
I think they look fine. You know, I think they look good, you know, as like maybe not as good as Brian's, but like I think they look plenty good to me. Uh, okay, he says the main was bananas and it was an excellent surprise. The switch was made with Lee and Swerve. Kate from Montreal, Takeshita has to be the gold standard for how to do an excursion for Japanese wrestlers going forward because his matches in AEW and other promotions have been incredible. Plus, he even got well wishes from Cinnabon earlier in the day. It's rare that I'm completely blindsided by a result, but the tag title change got me. I was convinced that Swerve was the one taking the pin, and instead he was the one getting it. Very happy for the new champions. They are both great on the mic, and I hope they'll get a chance to show this more going forward. Benjamin says, I like Dynamite. It is good. I'm all in for Chainsaw Chucky T, the Kentucky Cutthroat. All right. Yes. Uh, can throw in the tie-dye and come out with like a, I don't know, white with blood splattered all over him. Um, it'd be hard to tell him apart at that point from any main eventer on the show. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Uh, Muggin has the last word here. Takeshita continues to deliver in big matches. His stock continues to grow, even in defeat. The chaotic tag title main event threw me for a loop as I suspected the Young Bucks would squeak by via chicanery. I was pleasantly surprised that it didn't happen, and I'm very happy for Swerve in our glory gain the tag titles. Everyone shined, including Hobbs' spinebuster symphony. Britt handing Rosa a sandbag felt so on the nose and a few weeks late. Does anyone here think Eddie Kingston won't get the last word next week? And says, night one of Fighter Fest was solid. Um, it's it's Certainly pitched as the blow off next week. And I think the way that has to end is uh, Jericho bleeding buckets based on Eddie Kingston's promise. I think so too. Yeah. Um, or blinding him or setting him on fire. Any number of, I could things. totally see a fireball next week. Yeah. 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 That could make sense. Hey, we have one last super chat to get to from Mahmoud Al Mardi, who says, uh, where can I find the 24 hour BWE stream? So I, I didn't have the URL before, but now I do. It is bwelivestream.mixler.com. bwelivestream.mixler.com. I'll even put it right here uh, in, in the uh, thing so that people could see it. Uh, and as well, if you follow us at Post Wrestling, I'm sure we'll be tweeting about it um, throughout the day. Uh, but also follow at Bushby01 at Benson Richard E for uh, the hosts themselves. All right. And Way and I will be back Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern time for the post daily news show. Uh, in just a couple of hours, New Japan is doing their G1 press conference. I imagine they'll be out on the lawn, everyone decked out in their finest attire or what approximates fine attire for this given ceremony. So um, if there's any news coming out of that, we will chat about that. The looks is what I'm mo- mostly interested in. You know, who's going to look the best? Oh, man. If if they had a more loose policy, having Max Dupree do a live stream grading the the yeah. the, the G one summer wear. Oh goodness. He could have a lot of fun with that. And everybody gets a funny name. That's right. Tom Laloir. <laughs> oh, I'm not even gonna attempt. Okay. That is it for us. Thank you to all of you for joining. Thank you for the super chats and we hope that you enjoy Rewind to Dynamite. You can always listen to this show on your podcast app of choice. Subscribe to Post Wrestling. Maybe leave us a review. Feed mm-hmm. our egos a little bit. Tell us yeah. how great we are. It uh, it balances out the uh, these social justice warriors. I don't think that's been happening as often these days. I feel like we've driven all those people away by now. No, I, I, I think during the pandemic, we, we kind of ridded our audience yeah, of the, uh, we've cleansed th- those folks. Yes. But, yeah. uh, hey, any, any, any feedback is welcome. Even, even those yeah. that, uh, 
think we're a bunch of a SJW, blah, 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 blah. I love, I love oat milk. Okay. Uh, soy on when oat milk's not available is fine by me. Yes. All right. That wraps up the show. Thank you for watching. Rewind to dynamite. We'll speak with you Thursday. That is it. Good night.